0: As the kids are dismissed for children's ministry now, a couple of uh, reminders. Uh, We will have a service, but it's not going to be here tonight. It's going to be at Grace Brethren Church in Simi Valley. I had been asked to come over there. They're doing a month-long series on marriage and family and parenting. They have a number of special speakers that are coming in, and so they decided to throw in a non-special speaker like me. And so they, uh, they're having the culmination of a number of different men, including myself, uh, with Paul David Tripp, who's going to come in the first weekend of August and do um, a, a marriage seminar, I think uh, based upon his book, What Did You Expect?, Uh, speaking of marriage. And he is a wonderful brother in the Lord. And so there are some other pastors uh, from around the Southern California area. Adam Tyson from Placerita Bible Church in Santa Clarita. Chris Mueller uh, from Faith Bible Church in Temecula. Uh, Myself here from Thousand Oaks Bible Church. Uh, I believe there are maybe two others uh, one, I think, is Harry Walls, who is the uh, chaplain of the Master's College, longtime pastor in Alabama, and I think one other brother that, whose name escapes me, but they're, they're doing this all through the month of July, and then they're going to culminate with this uh, weekend conference with Paul David Tripp the first weekend of August. So when they asked me to come, I thought, well, this will be a wonderful thing. There are uh, some festivities prior to the 6 p.m. service that begins, one of those is a, a 5 p.m. barbecue uh, that they're going to have out on the lawn, and they're going to have uh, a number of games for the kids. So if your kids aren't having enough fun at our picnic that is going to occur right after our service at Thousand Oaks uh, Community Park, uh, if you know where that is, if you just go all the way down Flores, if you're going west on uh, Avenida de las Flores, and you then turn right on Park Road and just... As you're getting past Thousand Oaks High School, there's that big park on the left. And that's where you can go directly after the service. There are going to be a lot of folks who are going to go over there and try to set things up. And we're going to have uh, guests with us, anybody from uh, Vacation Bible School, any parents, uh, some of their kids. And we understand that there will be some of those there. And so our whole church family can, can partake in that. We're going to have some uh, great games, uh, a pie Eating, and I suppose then a pie judging contest, right? You can judge with your palate. And so uh, we're going to have a great time. I think that'll be from around noon to three. And then if you'd like to come for that uh, barbecue, you can come to that. And then 6 p.m., preaching over at Grace uh, Brethren Church of Simi Valley. Mike? Uh, where it's I, I take it's a big park. Where in the park are we park? Uh, That's a great question, Mike. Uh, somebody else has the answer to that question. And there'll be balloons on the table. Behind, you, you that building, that, the yeah, there's kind of like a little community center. Yeah. The okay. Is all, back there. all right. So, wonderful opportunity I think for us to fellowship together as families, and uh, what a what a great day today for the opportunity to celebrate the Lord's Supper and then have some fellowship together and then some barbecue tonight if you'd like to come. And then uh, I'm going to be preaching on your ministry, your your marriage as ministry from Ephesians chapter 5. You know, in that section where it talks about submitting to your husband and loving your wife, those things are very, very concrete, practical ideas from the Apostle Paul. But it's actually not the most important thing that he's driving home in that text the most important thing he's driving home is that your marriage is not merely for the sake of submission and love for respect and regard it's actually for the sake of the gospel and how christ and his bride the church is presented through a christian marriage and so we're going to be talking about that tonight at six o'clock and that was an assigned topic for me so since um i love marriage uh I've been married now for 30 years this year, and I think I've just figured out all the wrong things I'm doing, and it'll take me another 30 years just to figure out how to correct them, right? So you come tonight, and we'll have a blessed time at Grace Brethren Church of Simi Valley. All right, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, as I alluded this morning, that we are going to talk about heaven and the second coming. Now last week, just to give for those of you who weren't here, a little background on our study. We're going through verse by verse through the Gospel of John. And last week I attempted to show you why Jesus commands his disciples not to be troubled. And in a sense, he gives them three reasons why they should not be troubled. Even though in the context of his words here, Not only Simon Peter, but also doubting Thomas, and then also Philip, in the matter of just a few verses, are all wondering, in a very troubled way, what's going on? What's happening? Why are you talking about leaving? And this is a a major discourse of our Lord, sometimes called the Upper Room Discourse, sometimes called the Farewell Discourse. And final prayer of our Lord, which occurs, of course, in John chapter 17. And this uh, densely packed material in chapters 14 through 17 is designed for Jesus to teach some amazing truths just to to the 12, minus, of course, even Judas. So really just to the 11. So these chapters are wonderful instructions and certainly not just for them but for us as well. But the main target of what Jesus is saying here is directly to these men. And of course, this command is given in chapter 14, verse 1, let not your hearts be troubled or don't be troubled. And then he gives three reasons. And we looked at the first reason last time, didn't we? And it's in the latter part of verse 1, believe in God, believe also God. In me. In effect, Jesus is saying, Don't be troubled, you must believe in God the Father, and you must believe also in me. And when he makes that astounding, superlative comparison, believe in God the Father, believe also in me, I showed you last time that John has a way of talking in sevens. And when he talks about, for instance, of uh, the seven signs of the the Lord Jesus in the Gospel of John, he also talks about the seven I ams. I am the door, I am the great shepherd of the sheep, I am the resurrection and the life, just to give you three of those seven. And then we studied and had a little Bible study last time about the I am statements that don't have the uh, extra noun at the end, you know, I am the door, but just Jesus saying I am, linking himself in the Old Testament, especially in Isaiah's prophecy, with the idea that Jesus himself is co-equal and co-eternal with Yahweh of the Old Testament, God the Father. An astounding claim. So it is no wonder that Jesus says to these disciples, do do not be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. For I am the I am. That's what he's saying. No wonder he tells them to believe. No wonder he tells them to place their confidence and their trust and their reliance, their whole life, their eternity, in God and Christ. But he doesn't stop there. He gives two more reasons. And that's what's going to occupy us this morning. The second reason he gives for these disciples and of course for ourselves not to be troubled is that he says this, heaven awaits. Heaven awaits. Notice what he says in John fourteen two. In my father's house are many rooms if it were not so would i have told you that i go to prepare a place for you stop there what jesus is saying to them is that i don't want you to be troubled in fact i want you to be comforted and not troubled because i'm going to a place notice he says that in the latter part of verse 2 i go to prepare a place. That's a key word. He's talking about a location. And he says, I'm going there and I'm going to prepare. And what I'm preparing is marvelous. He says, in my father's house are many rooms. What does he mean? What is he talking about? If he's talking about a place. If he's talking about a location. What does he mean by, in my Father's house are many rooms? Well, if you possess a King James Version of the Bible, that magisterial translation that was, of course, translated back in 1611, and, of course, if you have one of those translations, you could hardly read it right now because English has changed so significantly in all of those years. But even if you have a contemporary translation, 1611 version of the King James translation you will see that it says in my father's house are many what mansions Mansions. all right the difficulty with that particular translation is that it was borrowed from Jerome's Latin version of the Bible called the Vulgate And there was a particular Latin word that was used that when the King James translators came and they used, or at least they believed in English, they could bring over from that Latin word another word that would be the exact representation, and that was the word mansions. The problem with that is it conjures up in our minds that every one of us, when we go to heaven, we're going to have our own mansion, right? Now, I doubt that that's true because of the fact that what you and I think are mansions are these luxuriant, glorious places where there are many rooms in the one mansion, right? And that's not what Jesus is talking about. He uses a very, very unique word. It's the word monae, and in plural, monai. And he only uses it, does all of the Bible writers actually, in two places. This is one, And then look at verse 23 of this same chapter. Jesus said, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. That's Monet. That's the same word. And it's only used in these two places in our entire New Testament. And what John is driving toward from Jesus' own lips is the idea not of a mansion, but of a place. And of course, it's in plural here in John fourteen two. in my father's house are many rooms. So he's talking about one place, not many mansions, but that one place that he's talking about is glorious. And it does have many rooms in the sense that it has room for every single person who's going there. And it's going to be fantastic. It's going to be glorious. And of course, as we read about it later in later revelation of the New Testament, it's a place called heaven. That's what we're talking about. This is called heaven. Now, some commentators say, no, it's not really talking about heaven. It's actually talking about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, because he says, I go to prepare a place for you. Well, that doesn't seem to fit uh, with uh, my interpretation of this passage, because a place is not necessarily a person. Now, Jesus does talk about himself in verse 3, and we'll get there. Certainly, he does talk about the person of himself, but here he's talking about the place, right? So, if there are three reasons for you and for me not to be troubled, The first, you could say, is the path. And what is the path? To believe. To believe in God the Father and to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the second is the path to a place. And that place is heaven. And when we get to that place, we're going to meet the person of Jesus Christ. So you want a neat little three-point outline there in verses 1, 2, and 3? It's a path, it's a place, and it's a person what Jesus is teaching them is, I don't want you to be troubled. I don't want you to have anguish of heart. Why? Because even though there is justifiably opportunities for you now, because I'm going away, and when I ascend to the Father, there'll be opportunity for you to be troubled, but I want you to remember these words. I want you to be captivated, not only by my teaching ministry, but by what I'm promising you. And here's what I'm promising you. If you believe in me and not fall away, not to apostatize. If you believe in me and you don't fall away like Judas has done by betraying me. If you believe in me and if you believe in my heavenly father, I tell you this. I promise you in my father's place, his house, his abode, his dwelling place are many rooms and it will accommodate all of you and it's going to be a glorious place and then he says of course in a the form of a question if it were not so would i have told you that i go to prepare a place for you evidently he had taught this before he had taught them probably many times prepare 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 the gospels don't don't record it for us, but there were several times, if you look, for instance, in Mark's gospel, and several times from Mark chapter 8 on through the end of that section before you get to the crucifixion, Jesus is saying to them over and over and over again here's the deal we're going up to Jerusalem, I'm going to go there to die, and then after three days, I'm going to rise again from the dead. And you and I can suppose, even though not recorded, he might have said something like this, and after I ascend to my Father, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I've told you this now so that you will not be troubled. And so he says, in this question format, if it were not so... Would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? In other words, believe me when I tell you, believe in the promise, believe in my word, that even though you're going to go through horrific trouble, be comforted because I've got a plan. And that plan is to give you an untroubled heart as to your eternal future. And it's going to be glorious. And it may even be that Jesus is saying that I am your Moses. You say, how do you you know that? Look back in your Bibles at Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 1. You remember I told you that Isaiah says in John 12 that he saw Christ's glory. He tells those two disciples on the Emmaus road that as he opened their eyes to understand the scripture he says that doesn't the old testament talk about me doesn't the old testament point to me he even says in john chapter 1 that you have moses here and you have me now the law came through moses but grace is realized in Jesus Christ. John chapter 1. He may be alluding to the idea that he's the new Moses. He's the one who is preparing another place. Because in Deuteronomy chapter 1, look for instance at verse 29. Moses says, then I said to you, do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you. Think of that language with Jesus now. I'm going To prepare a way, I'm going before you. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And of course, Jesus went all the way to that cross despising the shame, dying on that cross for the sins of the world, everyone who would ever believe. Verse 31, And in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. In other words, Moses is saying, the Lord God, He's preparing a way for you. You're sojourning in the wilderness. You've left Egypt. Did He not promise you that He would lead you out of Egypt through Moses? And did He not keep His promise? And now He's going to lead you through the wilderness, and He's going to lead you through to the promised land? that's what Moses has done, that's what he's going to, de- going to do, bank on it, that's the promise, as though it's already happened. Verse 32, yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God. No wonder then, Jesus says in John 14one do don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe. Don't disbelieve. Believe. Believe that I can do this. Believe that I'm on a mission believe that I'm going to do my Father's will, that I'm going to accomplish His work. Verse 33, Who went before you in the way to seek you out a place to pitch your tents. There's that place in fire by night and in the cloud by day to show you by what way you should go. Now, my friends, that's, that's the kind of language that is precisely used here. I'm going before you. Just as Moses, and the Lord God's leading of him, goes before you to prepare this place, and the Lord God's going to do it, and I'm going to be your leader, and I'm going to stand out in front, and I'm going to lead you to it. So Jesus is talking here, and he says to his very disciples, I'm going to go before you, and I'm going to prepare. I'm going to prepare the way. And of course, Peter doesn't get it. And doubting Thomas doesn't get it. And Philip doesn't get it. And they keep saying, Lord, where are you going? Where are you going? What's the way? And Thomas even makes such a big deal out of it. How can we know the way? John 14, 5. That Jesus said to him, I am the way. See the the kind of uh, parallel between Moses and Deuteronomy 1 and Jesus now here in John 14. This is amazing. This is like... uh, This is like Jesus saying, this is what God did through Moses and this is what God is doing through me, his son. And you know, there was a time where Peter, he seemed pretty confident. Remember in John 6, when Jesus said, if you don't drink my blood and if you don't eat my flesh, he's telling the crowd, the crowd that he just fed the 5,000 with this wonderful meal that that even had food left over, and he says, "If, if you don't drink of my blood and eat of my flesh, you have no part with me, you have no relationship with me. Speaking spiritually of the idea, yeah, I fed your tummies, but now I'm telling you, rely on me, believe on me, drink my blood, eat my flesh. In other words, you must consume me. I'm the bread that comes down out of heaven. You thought it came from Moses, but it actually came from God the Father, and he supplied our ancestors with that bread in the wilderness, so much so that they had their fill, and they still didn't believe. And then he says in John 6, and, and some of you even after I've just fed you on that hillside. 5,000 of you, probably even more than that. If you count wives and children, probably 10,000 or more. And he feeds them with just those little bitty loaves and fishes, and they had more left over, that they had to get 12 baskets full because they had so much. In other words, this bread who comes down from heaven, he so satiates everybody's desires. He's so sufficient in his bread winning and bread giving that there's not a single soul on that hillside that would have said, should have said anything else but this. This is the Messiah come from God. This this is God in human flesh. You say, well, they wouldn't have done that because in their monotheism, there's one God, Deuteronomy 6.4. Yes, that's true. And they would have said, well, when the Messiah comes, he's going to tell us all this and he's going to lead us this way, but he's just a mere man. And how did they know that this was going to be God in their midst, the very God-man himself? Well, probably so. But there were a little band of disciples, including Peter, that when Jesus gave them that, that stern discipleship, that hard warning, that if you don't participate with me, then you can't be a follower of me. And in John 6, 66, it says, And there were some of them who followed him no more. The demand was too high. It was too high. They didn't want to meet it. it doesn't matter in that sense if they didn't quite understand exactly. Even the disciples didn't quite understand exactly. But what does Peter say in John chapter 6? When Jesus turned to him and said, are you, you and the others, you disciples, are you going to go away too? And Peter says, where are we going to go? You're the one who has the words of eternal life. I mean, it, it, it looked as though Peter, Peter got the point and they continued to follow. And they followed Jesus all the way to the upper room and the institution of the Lord's Supper. And then this, this magnificent teaching of him and yet look at what Peter says in John chapter 13, right at the end. Verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me will you peter will you really truly truly i say to you the rooster will not crow till you have denied me 3 times i mean yes he he got it but he didn't get it i mean he was he was a follower in john 6 and when all the rest of them went away peter could have gone away too the rest of the disciples could have gone away too look i don't want to eat his flesh and drink his blood i don't i don't want to deny myself and follow him And now he's talking about going to a cross and he's talking about dying and he's talking about rising again. And then he's talking about going away. Presumably, maybe he means going away for good. I mean, no wonder these these men are troubled. I mean, he's been their rabbi, their teacher, their master for over three years. and, And now he's telling them, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. You say, well, he He said that also in John 8 to that unbelieving crowd. He says, where I'm going, you cannot come. And he says it here now, where I'm going, you cannot follow me. But then there's the difference. You cannot follow me now, but you will afterward. And you know, for Peter and the rest of those disciples, it wasn't until the events of Pentecost in Acts chapter 1 and 2 that they finally do realize because God opened their eyes to understand the truth. Oh, our Messiah is going to die, be buried for three days and rise again on the third day. And then he's going to ascend to his heavenly father. And then he's going to bring back a kingdom. And we're beginning to understand these things. And so in their minds, And one of the things that they would have assuredly understood, most certainly understood by the insight and the power and the illumination of the Holy Spirit is this. John chapter 14. John chapter 15. Chapter 16. Chapter 17. They would have gotten it. And it would have been one of those aha moments where you say something like this. Aha. That's what Jesus meant by what he said. That's why he taught us this and that. I understand now. I mean, it's, it's in the memory banks. And then when they go through the troubling experiences... And when they go through the persecutions like Peter did when he was preaching in the book of Acts, and the disciples when they're praying in that upper room, and then when the place thundered later when they were praying that people would come to know Christ and be followers of the way, then God is just confirming and reconfirming and confirming once again all the things that Jesus taught them, including, I would say, most effectively for their minds and their troubled hearts John 14, 15, 16, and 17. And this one element, this one reason that he gives, beyond just believing, is this promise. Heaven awaits you. Heaven awaits. My father has a house. He's got a dwelling. He's got a a massive place. And I promise you this that if you don't fall away, you will go to that place. And as we say in our own English vernacular today, and it will blow your minds. It's going to be so glorious. And you know, sometimes those disciples really wondered what was going to happen in the far off future. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19. I mean, there was even an occasion in Matthew 19, as it's recorded there, where the disciples are asking Jesus the question. You remember this is the context of the rich young ruler? And when the disciples, according to Matthew 19, 25, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who can then be saved? That's because Jesus said it's easier for a a man to go through the eye of a needle, or excuse me, a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to, to enter the kingdom of God. And then they're saying, well, it's absolutely impossible for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And if that's true, then there can't be a rich man who enters the kingdom of God. and the other gospels, there, there can't be any man who inherits the kingdom of God if that's the standard. And they looked at Jesus and said, well, then who can be saved? Verse 26, but Jesus looked at them and said and said with man this is impossible but with God all things are possible in other words you can't do it yourself you can't do it yourself but if God wants you to get into the kingdom of God he does it himself for you and then verse 27 then Peter said in reply see we have left everything and followed you What then will we have? What's going to happen? What's the end result? What do we get? What's at the end? Notice what Jesus said in verse 28. Truly, truly, I say to you, In the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel, and everyone, not just you twelve, and everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. I I know Peter I know disciples I know what you believe you've given up but you can't even compare what you're going to get in return you have no idea in fact look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2 1 Corinthians chapter 2 while not specifically talking about heaven so much as reward 1 Corinthians chapter 2 this is an amazing statement But as it is written, what no eye has seen nor ear heard nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. I.e., you have no idea. You have no idea. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You say, well, when's this going to come? What's going to happen? And the answer is, if you died today. You die tomorrow, tomorrow before the rapture of the church. If you do not live past another minute, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be what? Present with, Present with the Lord. You're going to immediately be ushered into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at chapter 5. Verse 6, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, in this earthly tent, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. In other words, when you die, when you cease to die, to be connected to this body because the body goes back into the earth to await its resurrection, you will be at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, whether in this earthly tent or out of it, we make our aim to please Him. You say, what's it going to be like? What's heaven going to be like? Look at Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. You say, I've been... I've been believing God. I've been trusting him. I'm going through troubles and times of terror and it may even be the, in our country in times future and certainly it is in our world right now where this innumerable number of of infightings and explosions and cars running into people and people being beheaded by the sword and people being shot. However, these atrocities are occurring in our world. They have nothing on Hebrews 11 and 12. They have nothing on this. I mean, in Hebrews 11, you just read it sometime, by faith, by faith, by faith, and it talks about these people who were tortured and who were beaten. And Hebrews eleven thirteen says, These all died in faith not having received the things promised. You say, well, wait a minute, Lance. You you said that Jesus was saying, I promise you there will be these multiple rooms in my father's house and you'll be blessed and it's heaven. But it says here, these people didn't receive the things promised. But having seen them, that is by faith, and having greeted them from afar, in other words, they they looked in the future and by faith they saw it, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus, like these people, make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. They weren't looking backward. They were looking forward. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. And therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. It's coming, folks. And if you're like those who are the faithful of Hebrews 11, you don't look backward. You look forward. And when you look forward, even if you don't receive the promise in this life that you're going to get into your desired homeland, you're going to have it one day, even if you don't have it right here. This is heaven awaiting. Look at 1 Peter 1.4. 1 Peter 1.4. This is, this is what God has promised. It is a guilt-edge guarantee. It will happen. Don't you worry about it one little bit don't be troubled first peter 1:4, an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled and unfading kept in heaven for you who by god's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time my faith that's what he's saying to these disciples Don't be troubled. Have faith in God. Have faith in me. I've made a promise and heaven awaits you. How can you be troubled when you know that heaven awaits? You say, because it's hard. It's difficult. That's why I can tend to falter. That's why I can tend to doubt. And that's what Peter was doing and that's what Thomas was doing and that's what Philip was doing. You're no different. You're in actually a pretty pretty good group there. Except for this, I'm called upon by faith to believe in God's word. And God says in his word, I've got heaven awaiting you. And not just that. Here's the third reason not to be troubled. Christ is coming again. Christ is coming again. Look at verse 3 of John 14. And if I go, and it's not, hey, I may not go. He's saying... If I go and prepare a place for you, and I will, I will what? What does it say? Come again. I will come again. That is a reference to the second coming glorious return of Jesus Christ. That's what it is. And what will he do? And I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also he is not only going to take us to heaven but he is going to be there himself one day my friends do you believe that cardinal doctrine of the faith do you believe that what god says is true is indeed true you say well yes of course i have to i'm a christian right are there doubters yeah there was doubting thomas there was doubting philip there was doubting peter sure we all wonder, is it going to happen? Is Jesus Christ going to prepare a place for me? The word says that it's true. Jesus promised that it's true. And he further promises, I will come again. I'm going to come again for you. And then that's where that promise in chapter 14, verse 23 says, and, and I, with my father, will make our home home with everyone who's a true believer in Jesus Christ. I'm going I'm to create a home called heaven, and I'm going to be there myself. It's the very presence of Jesus Christ with his people. To be absent from the body is to be present with the, the Lord, the Lord Jesus. You and I are one day going to heaven, and when we get there, you and I will be in the unmistakable presence of the sinless Son of God. If that doesn't encourage your hearts, you got to get the motor started. You have to know that God has heaven awaiting you and He will come to gather you to be with Himself. You say, well, wait a minute. I mean, when He says, I will come again, is, is, is that... Is that the only reference to the second coming in the New Testament? Oh, don't worry, I'm not going to give you every one of them. But there are some that are so spectacular that I want you to see it. Look at Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. This is is marvelous. This is not just one aside from Jesus where he promises his own disciples and then it's not mentioned again. Look at Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men... Angels stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Do you believe that? This is what the Word of God says. Mark chapter 13. You want a gospel account? This is a gospel account. Mark chapter 13, verse 24. But in those days, after that tribulation, and I would suggest... According to Revelation 20, after the millennial kingdom, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken and then they shall see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory and then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Don't tell me it's not going to happen. This is what the Word of God says. In second thessalonians second thessalonians this is this is the word of god this is what we believe this is why we sing the songs that we sing this is why we're so happy to talk about heaven because we know we're going there second thessalonians chapter 1 verse 6 god indeed considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed. Yes, he's coming again. He's coming again. You read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and you will, you will see it. And I alluded to it earlier in our service, Revelation chapter 22, just to show you here as we close. The second coming of Jesus Christ is going to occur. It is promised from the word of God and it will happen. In Revelation chapter 22, look at verse 7. From the lips of Jesus himself to John the Apostle in his vision. And behold, I am coming soon. He says it. I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Verse 12, behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Verse 20, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come Lord Jesus. Amen. Don't be troubled. I mean, when I see all that it's in this, in this world, when I watch these, these news breaks of, of this breaking news of, of, of incalculable pain for people around our world, I can't imagine being in Nice, France and having some maniacal person run a truck through the area and kill almost 90 people. I can't imagine it. There were some Americans there who were studying from Stanford University. I can't imagine someone just just walking like this morning through a, uh, an alleyway, a convenience store, and a, and a gas station and emerge the other side and, and begin with a, a black outfit on to, to mow down police officers. I can't imagine police officers who are evil and wicked, and thank God it's not most of them, but those who are evil and wicked who, who want to pound on someone and even take their life as though they think arbitrarily that they can do so, I am, I am saying in my heart, please, Lord Jesus, come back. And it's going to get worse. The Bible says evil men will grow from bad to worse. It's going to get worse. And you and I, we cling to these promises of John 14, 1, 2, and 3. I believe. I believe heaven awaits. And I believe Christ is coming again. And I must stake my very life on that truth. And as a Christian, I do. Do you? Let's bow together in prayer. Father, we want in this time that you have given us to celebrate the Lord's Supper, to ponder these tremendous words to some troubled disciples. And Father, we are troubled. We have trials and tribulation. And Jesus, you even told us in this world, you will have tribulation. But take comfort. Have good cheer. Be comforted. For I have overcome the world and Lord I believe you prepared the way for the believers of the ages to go to these many rooms through the preparation of your own death and for and from your resurrection we have hope that through believing that you are Our Lord and Master, you are the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. That no matter what happens to us on this earth, even if we were to die by the sword, even if we were to lose our life, we would be absent from that body but present instantly with you. And you will usher us one day in your good timing to the heaven that awaits through the very second coming glory that is promised to us here in John 14. May we cling to these truths in trying times. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's celebrate the Lord's Supper together, shall we?